welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. With season 44 officially behind us, we thought it might be fun to take a look back at the season as a whole, discuss some of its most memorable moments, standout hosts, and exceptional sketches. I'm John Murray, and this week I'm joined by lovable curmudgeon and vintage SNL connoisseur, Andrew Dick. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. It's your support that makes the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right, enjoy. Well, Andy, welcome back. Oh, thank you. We actually uh, did a run through of this a few weeks back with mm. uh, my other cohort, Steve, but unfortunately he felt that he needed to download some torrents while we were recording and managed to royally screw up his audio and uh, we had to scrap it. So uh, you and I are going to take another run at it. We're going to try and look at season 44 as a whole and hopefully, uh, you know, the second run will be even more coherent than our last attempt. Are you ready to run through this stuff again? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to start with some questions from our audience. Listener Omari Brown wants to know with regard to first time hosts, who were the standouts? What were the, uh, the highlights or the unexpected surprises for season 44? Um, I think we had a lot of good hosts, uh, for season 44. Uh, I think the most unexpected for me was, uh, just how much I liked, uh, Leah Schreiber. Right. Just that 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 took me by surprise. But uh, Emma Thompson, uh, Halsey was another one that you just didn't know right. uh, how she was going to do. Knocked it out of the park. And uh, people like Jason Momoa. I mean, Don Cheadle. You can tell that they're doing a really good job at picking people who seem to be super duper excited yes. to be hosting the show. And uh, that really carries through. Uh, you know, in the live show. So, and it really helps put over uh, some episodes that you know, it gives it a little bit more energy, yep. I would say. So, yeah, agreed. If there's one thing that uh, I don't think you can fault with SNL right now is their bookings. It seems like every host came to play. It seems like, uh, you know, there were a few really inspired bookings. Like you mentioned, Halsey, we didn't know what we were going to get with her and she really surprised. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you had, uh, a few real, uh, unexpected joys from, uh, what the hosts were able to bring. Liev Schreiber, yeah, being able to uh, be such a, a quirky and disturbing <laughs> character <laughs> in some of his sketches was surprising. Well, I would like him, like, if if there's going to be sort of returning people, uh, I, I think Liev Schreiber would yeah. be a good, like, Walken-esque yeah. uh, person to bring back, your weirdo character exactly. actor that you can save those type of sketches for yeah he had an unexpected quirkiness that served a lot of the material jason momoa the the pure enthusiasm that he brought was a highlight kind of in the vein of what uh sterling k brown brought last year where mm -hmm. this is a, a life dream being realized and uh it's just like pouring out of him uh so yeah a lot of fun stuff along along those lines i'm gonna give it to halsey though as kind of like the 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 biggest unexpected treat of the season 
when you go into a show with no expectations and not a, a whole lot of background on who the person is or really what they can bring to the show. And then just to, to see them perform as well as they did, and maybe as, as safe as some of her roles maybe were for a first time host, I felt like she handled herself really good. I, I thought that, uh, uh, yeah, she, she brought a lot more to her performance than I was expecting. And then, you know, on top of that, she had a inspired little performance art musical piece where she did that painting <laughs> right, while, right. uh, while doing one of her songs. So yeah, there was a, a lot of fun there. Uh, yeah. Hosts, uh, I, I can't knock them. I, I don't think there was really a misfire at all this season. Yeah. Just keep on trucking with that. Yes. Now moving on one question that pretty much everyone asked that, uh, I can't really give credit to any one person because yeah, we got versions of this question from, from many fronts cast speculation. You know, you've had a, a fair bit to say throughout the season about where your heart is with the show and maybe some of the changes you'd like to see. So let's break it all down. We've got a big cast, a lot of people at the top of their contracts. We've had some rumors and a couple confirmations about maybe who's going to be staying around in somewhat of a limited capacity. Um, but there's still a whole lot that we don't know at this point. Can mm-hmm. you lay out what your, perfect SNL ensemble looks like for season 45? Ooh, the perfect. Um, well, I don't know if I can say that quite yet, but I do. I have been saying for a while that I, I think anybody that's been there from about season 39 or before uh, should be leaving at this point. Uh, I'm just the kind of guy that uh, I like constant change in SNL. I, I think that really it's a show that thrives on that. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, a lot of people look back at season 42 as sort of, you know, this truly great season that we had. And, and for me, it felt like a culmination of the years leading up to it, season 39 and so on. And instead of that being the peak and then people kind of drift away after that, it seems that we hit the peak and the show said, oh, we're just going to this will be the status quo mm-hmm. uh, for as long as we can make it. and. uh I, you know, I think now that we're two years of trying to regain the glory of season 42, it just ain't working. <laughs> and I think the show, yeah, needs to turn over some, a lot of people need to leave. I, I think the top tier people are kind of holding the show back a bit because we're just not getting uh, a wide array of new ideas out of them. I mean, how many times can we do another alien abduction sketch sure. or, you know, it's like, I love Kate Keenan, Cecily Beck, Kyle. I love them all, but you know, I would not be sad to see them go and let some of our newer talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm ready to see them take over the show. Okay. So time for the, the new crop to come into their own and bring a new tone and voice to the show. That's kind of how you're feeling. Yeah. It's yeah. time. It's a fair criticism. And it's one that, you know, has been echoed across the internet. You know, this is the the prevailing idea that as much as we love Keenan and, you know, he's taken the show for all it's worth in his, what are we on? 17 seasons. Yeah. Considering that he has so much else, uh, to focus on, you know, he's got a series that's been picked up. He's producing the, all that reboot, you know, he's got a lot of irons in the fire. He's so got that game show thing yeah, yeah. as and well, he's really, you know, getting his face out there. He's trying to make himself a known quantity and, uh, kind of, uh, elevate himself into mogul status, you know, like he's really going for the next level. So yeah. a lot of people are scratching their heads saying, well, okay, so you can leave triumphant, right? Like you took the show for all it's worth and now you can go to the next level, but apparently he's going to stick around, uh, for one more season. We don't really know in what capacity, like if he's really going to be as deeply invested in the show as he has been in the past, or if he's just going to kind of maybe 
maybe be sort of like a Phil Hartman in a way, uh, where he can just come in and do his thing, you know, but maybe not be quite as, uh, involved in the earlier part of the week where, you know, they're writing and crafting the show. So we don't really know what that looks like, but apparently Keenan is sticking around for better or worse. Um, I think I would have liked to see him go. Uh, and mm. not because I'm sick of Keenan, just simply because it feels like, you know, there's, there's a few moments in a person's career where they can go out with their head held high and be like, you know, I'm doing this before I jump the shark. I'm doing this when the timing's right. I'm doing this when, right. you know, like I'm doing it on my terms. And I kind of wanted that for Keenan. And that's the story of SNL is everybody kind of <laughs> leaves like a season or two uh, after it probably should have happened. And everybody looks back at it and went. Yeah, <laughs> right. I probably should have left. Yeah, so it's it's always about timing, and I just uh, I love Keenan, and I just want to really see him get to the next level, and I just would have liked his story to maybe be a little bit more, <laughs> uh, I don't know, definitive in that way. Yeah, with Kate, kind of the same thing. Uh, they they doubled down on her for all their political stuff, so they're kind of married to her in a way because she services so much of the Trump administration. I mean, but does that stuff work for you? I mean, does the Kate as you know a crusty old white guy <laughs> like is that still working for you? Like we like when she appeared in the finale, like the cold open of the finale, I couldn't even tell who she was playing at that point. I was like, (laughs) I don't know who that is anymore. Like, see, SNL's political stuff, the the stuff that usually finds its way into the cold open. I've never been super hot on it. I don't feel like American politics right now is terribly funny. So it's really hard to mine it for comedy. And I don't think SNL has really figured out a good way to run at it in a lot of respects. So. I'm certainly not wed to it. I'd be happy to see them turn those roles over to someone new next season and just remind everyone that it's okay for more than one person to wear these mantles. SNL has kind of gotten into that rut of feeling like they have to just carry an impression through. Uh, but I, I think they need to test those waters and remind everyone that it, it is okay to turn these things over and, and go in a new direction and just try something new. Because at this point, I think to your point, uh, they aren't getting much out of what they've already established. So if ever there were a time to just reboot and say, yeah, let's, let's throw some new stuff out the wall, see what works. They're not going to do any worse than, you know, a half of the cold opens that we saw during season 44. So I'm okay with, with both of kind of the shows, um, figureheads going at this point, but that said, it, it has nothing to do with them you know, as performers and what they brought to the show, they've served the show really, really well. So it's never a, I'm sick of you. I don't want to see you anymore. I just think if they're ready to launch the show could do just fine with the crop of talent that, like you said, is kind of coming up behind them. I think there's enough core people there that they've established like Heidi and like Alex and like Chris that they'll be okay. They don't, they don't have to feel like they, they need these anchors or else the show isn't going to have like any star power or, you know, I, I don't feel like that's the situation they're in. So I would like them to, you know, just uh, take the plunge. <laughs> go go yeah. ahead. I just want to see them do other things, too. Yeah. You know, it's like there's nothing against that. I want to see Kate go off and do her own thing. Sure. And if you want a little bit of continuity, I would say keep Cecily around, maybe. Uh, you know, she's a really solid player and she has, I don't know, she's just kind of built up a good amount of support in the writer's room. So if they feel like we're going to be losing so much material, how are we even going to like fill out the show week over week i feel like cecily mm-hmm. can fill a lot of cracks in the show yeah. that way i mean she is sort of the phil hartman at this point so yeah in in many ways so just kind of like in in past eras where they felt like they needed to kind of clear the deck and and rebuild the cast a bit they always keep someone around so i, I would say make it cecily and she's she hasn't gotten her emmy yet though i think she's in the running this year or 
maybe will be in the running. I think someone's pushing for her. We'll see how that pans mm-hmm. out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Kate's got an Emmy. <laughs> Alex got an Emmy. I don't think uh, Alec wants to come back at this point. We've heard some rumblings that he's getting more and more vocal about his disinterest in continuing to play Trump. So uh, yeah. if ever there were a time to say, yep, we're doubling down on rebuilding and we're going to you know freshen things up and create a new tone for the show, this might be it. Feels weird to agree with Alec Baldwin, but yeah, I'm on his side. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of it too, boss. To, to put a button on the Alec Baldwin thing, I don't hate his impression. I really lay the blame at the feet of just how unfunny the whole situation is. That's that's the thing that always pulls me out of it. Yeah. I don't think he's the greatest impressionist, but I think what he did was serviceable. It's just there's nothing good to give him. You know, every time yeah. you see him up on screen, you're already groaning because you know how just kind of down the whole political situation is like there's nothing about it that makes you want to laugh and so yeah. he's kind of in this impossible situation where he has to try and find some funny and material that really doesn't have a whole lot of funny underpinning it and he has to try and yeah. do something with it and then he bears the brunt of the criticism so <laughs> and his heart isn't in it anymore you can tell that yeah so, yeah you know. so and I, and i wouldn't want to do it if i was playing a role that week over week i was getting criticized for and you're just showing up to be kind of a team player and and just you know kind of rally for the show you're not getting anything out of it and you're taking all this flack of course mm. let me go lord yeah, <laughs> this was supposed true. to be a four-week thing i know that's i see you really it was just it's supposed to be a four-episode middle finger yeah and uh man here we are so yeah uh this is this is one of those things where kind of the water's parting you you have a chance to kind of cross through and uh you know figure out your next move here show so by all means yeah. i'm okay with yeah. a bit of a shake-up myself and again not a knock at any of the players. I love everyone that comes through those doors. And uh, I certainly hope that if any of them uh, do leave over the summer, that whatever ventures they're pursuing pan out and they have all the success in the world. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that was, uh, I think we dug sufficiently deep on the whole cast situation. (laughs) Uh, So listener Debbie winner wanted to ask what improvements would we make to the show overall, not just specifically the cast. Is there just anything about the production that you feel isn't firing on all cylinders right now that you'd like to see them tighten up? Mm. In terms of production, I suppose that I'm having a problem with the rundowns for the episode. I I don't know. It, I, I still wish that the show would lean into its live nature a little bit more and just make it, I, I know why it tries to find a formula and tries to stick with it. But, mm. uh, you know, watching it live, I feel like the show's got to do something. I mean, in, in terms of how is it going to continue on, on television? Because most people watch the stuff on YouTube right. at the day afterwards or whatever. Like that's, that's mostly where the audience is. And at a certain point, it's like, well, then why are we even live? Why, you know, why are we even doing it this way anymore? And I, I feel just like lean into the live nature of it make the people watching the next day go oh damn i bet that was like really cool live like i I should have been up to see that that would have been cool or you know i I would like to see more like mini epics like something that goes for like six to eight minutes has multiple sets tells a story of some sort or a a connective tissue throughout the show Mm. some sort of running theme or or sketches that call back to another one and it's like oh crap i you know you wouldn't quite get that if you were watching it the next day, but you know, just, just something to jazz it up a little bit. Cause yeah, it just becomes a little bit too formulaic. And it's like, you guys, there's so many, I'm sure people have ideas to shake it up. Like I'm sure they do like, mm-hmm. let them, let them try. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, by embracing the necessity 
to be a clip friendly show, <laughs> you're right that maybe it's kind of got them out of the groove of thinking about how they can capitalize on their live format and just really, you know, maybe make something special that only SNL could pull off right. uh, just because of, you know, the unique nature of the production. So yeah, there, there might be something there that uh, maybe again, just the, the desire to stay relevant and to find the audience, wherever the audience is. Uh, sometimes that puts a pressure on the show that doesn't really help what we would like the show to be, which is, you know, the, this special little thing that you tune into live because it's just this weird party. That's a little out of time that, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't really even exist, but for whatever reason, it's kind right. of just this hip thing that you can find on, on Saturday nights, um, th- that you can't find anywhere else on television. Um, yeah, it would be nice if, if maybe YouTube didn't kind of tug <laughs> on them to, to maybe, uh, abandon some of the more creative stuff that they might do that, like you said, is a little more outside of the box, like, um, like a Zach Galifianakis episode where maybe there's some sketches that end up folding in on themselves later in the show right. or whatever, like things like that. that or Z shirt. Yeah, exactly. You don't see a whole lot of that. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a fair criticism. My only thought is I was thinking a lot about the writing of the show for season 44 and trying to figure out, is it really systemic of uh just having a a weaker crop of writers or something just not gelling properly in the writer's room or is there something else going on that that's making it more challenging for snl to kind of i don't know just find sketches that really resonate that maybe don't seem formulaic or feel like they're going back to the same well too many times and the only conclusion that i kind of came to was i wonder if snl isn't really the the dream job of some of the best comedy writers out there anymore. I think about how the landscape has changed, how there's many people that can make a go of it just independently on YouTube or through other outlets or comedy central, or just the fact that, you know, Netflix is throwing money at anyone that wants to do anything to generate content. Like, you know, the, the opportunities for comedy writers, it seems to me it's a much broader space and, you know, heck, you know, worst case scenario, I'll just start a podcast and I'll get by that way. Like it's just comedians well then if anything they should have the pick of the crop of people who want to work at snl well you you would think that and and i think they do i mean there are some people that that's just their trajectory the reason why i ever walked into an improv house was to get my sea legs so that i could make a run at snl there's always going to be those people but i just wonder if because there's so many more opportunities that a lot of writers you know, they can't wait on SNL to make an offer. Sometimes they just got to take a job. And I just wonder if it's a more diluted pool of writers and it's harder for them to find the standouts that are going to be those kind of writers that if not a lifer is really going to like be there for the long haul, Mm -hmm. uh, someone that sticks with the show long enough and that the show doesn't cut prematurely, uh, where they really figure out how to run at SNL and how to write for SNL. And I feel like the amount of turnover that we're getting year over year. I don't know if it's giving the, the new crop of writers enough time to really figure it out, you know, before they nix a bunch of them and then bring in a whole new fresh crop to try and maybe just extract a little bit of, of their winning material that they bring with them to the show. I feel like maybe there's a bit of brain drain at the show with, with the writers where uh, there's too much turnover and the show isn't figuring out how to either incentivize them to stick around, or maybe they're not putting enough trust in uh, giving them a second or third season to really figure out how to, ascend and become kind of their core writing team. Uh, I just don't feel like we've got that, that really strong core right now. And I would love to see a lot of the, the newbies that they've brought in over the last few years, because there's a lot of them. There's over a dozen people there that are one or two seasons in at this point. And, uh, I just don't know how many are going to stick around next year and, and whether the show is going to take another run at really trying to churn over the writer's room and bring in a lot of new fresh voices. 
And I just don't, I don't know what the solution is. I just, I see that as being a challenge for the show and I hope that they figure out, well, just, you know, just how to really get the writer's room humming. Yeah. Well, I think it also might be part and parcel with just having your cast so top heavy with people who have been there for so long. Mm, yeah. Uh, you, I don't know. You, you're a first year writer. I don't know how <laughs> comfortable you feel, you know, spending your, your Tuesday night, Wednesday night writing a sketch yeah. solely for Kate, you know, yep. like newbies kind of got to stick with the newbies. And, it's true. uh, it's true. uh I, I think that's, it's just all part of the show. Just not, churning itself over just yep. not not doing what it should have been doing over the last couple of years of uh yeah giving the new people voice i mean you know we've kind of hit the end of an era we need to transition into our next one and uh <laughs> you know you're right I, I do feel that you know like julio torres uh you know everybody loves him and i feel like the show is just barely keeping their their grip on him you know it feels <laughs> like you know it's like please don't go we'll let you write your show but please come back for the right, second right. half yeah uh, the, so. it seems like the good ones can branch out and do things a lot sooner and yeah again another another potential brain drainer just something else that keeps them from building that core you know that has several years invested in the show no. Yeah, I think there's something to it. I don't exactly know what it is. I think the point that you make that, you know, you bring in a crop of new writers, are their sketches going to cut through when they can just really easily take a tried and true vehicle that they know is going to get laughs and just throw another one at Kate, you know, no. <laughs> you know, like if they keep going back to the ones that they know are going to play or they, that they know has audience familiarity when you have a lot of that, because like you said, the cast is well established and those, those senior players get a lot of screen time. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't give the younger writers maybe as much opportunity to produce their sketches, which is kind of that trial by fire that really proves whether they can figure out how to get an idea to air and, and kind of learn all the steps in between. Yeah. Um, I'd yeah. much rather see the show fail, uh, trying something new than, you know, do something middling mm -hmm. that, you know, seems like, a, <laughs> like a perfect knockout exactly. of the park. You know, it's like, we've seen this before. I'd rather you fail trying. Yeah. But trying. if I put on my executive producer hat, am I thinking, do I want a show that's consistently failing, but at least trying to innovate? Or do I want a show that's passable that I know is going to keep the network happy and just keep the machine going? It's, it's a tough line to walk. Like how adventurous do you want to be when you might be killing the golden goose too? So I get, why you know it's hard to uh redirect a ship you know with as much <laughs> momentum as snl has in whatever direction it's going it is really hard to uh you, to do that to reinvigorate it uh i just hope that you know the the producers at the show see the the need and hear the audience and know that we're we're looking we're looking for something fresh and we will applaud it if we see it at least you know the yeah. small portion of their audience that are the hardcore comedy nerds that have been watching it their entire life will applaud it the larger audience will probably tune out and that'll be the end of snl but at least we will have had a season oh, where we can he... say snl tried to do it you know our way no see that's what i feel like the, the nbc and lauren michaels <laughs> feel like they have like if we if we try anything else the show is going to get canceled immediately it's like no who it's fine. It's 45 years of this stuff. You're going to need, it, it's going to take a lot to kill SNL. Uh, and, and a little bit of adventurousness isn't going to be that. Oh, okay. let's move on. Let's yeah. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. We've, uh, we've dug sufficiently deep on that. So why don't we take a look at our featured players? How is Heidi Gardner doing? Uh, 
Well, Heidi's doing great. I mean, I think she's really carved out her own niche. 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 I think she's really carved out her own niche in the okay. show. And, uh, you know, I still don't really see her folding into the main cast so much right now. Uh, I just don't know why people don't really seem to just toss her into a sketch if she's not the focus. Uh, but if that's going to be the case, then uh, I would like to just see more sketches that lean into her uh, acting chops. Sure. Uh, the the few times that we've really been able to see uh, Heidi's more dramatic roles, uh, they're quite uh, arresting. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I want to see more of them. Like that RV sketch from the uh, Steve Carell episode, not my favorite sketch, but when it takes that little turn for about 30 <laughs> seconds, I was like, yeah. oh my God, look at this. This is nice. Uh, so I'd like to see more of that. And, sure. and not only from Heidi, but just from the show itself. You know, I, I, I'd like more tones, more, more flavors okay. for our sketches. Uh, yeah, you're right that Heidi probably has a whole lot more to bring than what we've seen at this point. She's really been able to showcase some of her talents through her weekend update pieces. And a few of them have shown that they have real legs. You know, we got another outing of angel. We got some more Bailey Gizmer that was working the Brie Bacardi Instagram thing. I'm not super hot on that one, but overall, I think that she's, you know, consistently strong at the, the update desk. So I think she's got a lot to bring there. We'll continue to see her probably dominate in that respect, but yeah, if we see more of her in leading roles and sketches, hopefully as you know, we've already sufficiently covered as the senior players begin to make a little more room, uh, hopefully, you know, they, they will start to, uh, utilize her more heavily and we'll get some of those stunning moments where she brings something to her performance that, uh, it's almost indescribable that you can get that level of emotion or just that level of impact out of what should be lighthearted sketch fair. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's odd when you see it on the show, but really rewarding, you know, when they yeah. give you those kind of moments and she's the one that I can point out and say, she's the one that can, can land those kind of moments. And I hope that that frees up the writers to, you know, maybe find some creative material for her to lead. And, um, just to put a book end on the whole Heidi Gardner thing. She is the most wonderful person and she's the next star of the show. And there's absolutely <laughs> nothing bad that I could ever say about her because <laughs> as our audience, uh, I think is probably well aware at this point, her brother, Justin and her did me a real solid back in May and I'm still grinning. So Heidi, you're doing great. Can't wait to see what you do as a rep player. Absolutely. Chris Red. Oh man, I love Chris Red, and I was bummed that he was absent for most of the season. Uh, I don't approve of that, uh, and I see that as even more of a reason to kind of get rid of Keenan. Okay, just free up more roles. I mean, Keenan was funny as R. Kelly uh, in that cold open, but I would have rather have seen Chris Red. Okay, and I just say that across the board. I want to see more Chris Red. Fair enough. Uh, Chris, the funny dude, he has a comedic presence about him. There, there's some people, uh, they get on SNL and it really isn't until you drop them into a bunch of sketches that you realize, okay, maybe they have one specific strength, but just as a funny presence, just someone that can kind of get the audience giggling without a line or without needing to, you know, land a joke. Uh, I feel like Chris has that. There's a lot yeah. of times where. I feel the material is made a lot better just because there's something about how he carries himself and just, you know, cocks his head at the right time or whatever it is. He that, just wrangle a laugh out, out yeah. of pretty much whatever they get him. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like he's a great fit for the show and happy to see more of him. Again, considering, you know, that he's still technically a featured player, uh, 
I'm not dwelling too much on the fact that maybe he isn't snagging as many roles and, you know, Keenan's still, you know, pretty heavily utilized. I think that is the nature of the show. And as that changes, uh, I wouldn't expect that they wouldn't be fully confident to just throw anything at him. And, uh, yeah, I hope he comes into his own. I think this next season really could be when he starts to take that mantle. If Keenan is there more casually and, you know, everyone recognizes that he's got what they need, (laughs) then, you know, maybe that's where we'll start to see that transition. It's going to turn into more screen time. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about him or Heidi. I think both of them are on the exact right trajectory for a featured player. I would be very surprised if both of them weren't announced as repertory players going into the next season. Yeah. That'd be madness if they weren't. Yeah. So I, I don't think we need to dwell on it. I think we need to watch another season and see how he fares as a repertory player. But for right now, I'm like, okay, yeah, you are the, you are the next guy. And I don't see any reason why the show wouldn't want to keep you around as long as they could. Yeah. All right. Now, Egon Wodum. Before we jump into this one, I just want to frame it um, with some feedback that we got from listener Pretty in Pink, who asked, do you think Egon Wodum will stay for next season? We only got a couple sketches from her and her weekend update feature was cut. Also, Redditor Del C's stats for screen time showed that she only had about 33 minutes total screen time overall in the season. Mm. Okay, so... With that little bit of context, how do you feel Ego's doing? Uh, I think she's doing fine. Um, man, yeah, it, it was a real shame to see her kind of shut out too, because I think, uh, like some people, she was one of the few people that when she was announced for the show, I was like, oh crap, I, I know who she is. I've mm-hmm. heard her on Comedy Bang Bang and Spontaneous Nation, and I've I've heard her do improv and characters, and she's going to be great. And we didn't get to see too many showcase pieces from her. It was nice to see that they started sprinkling her in a little bit more uh, into the show on, on, on the back half. And, uh, you know, I, I liked the "you don't know me" sketch and the cha-cha slide and thirsty cops. Uh, I thought were all good efforts, especially cha-cha slide. It's one of my favorites of the season. So, unlike say Luke Knoll, who really got shut out the previous season, I'm t- I'm just not as worried for her this time around. Sure. Uh, she's also a black female, which the show always needs more of. Uh, so, I would be surprised if she doesn't get at least another shot. And, uh, yeah, I hope more people clear out so Ego can get some time and really get to, you know, show us what she's got. Sure. Because I've laughed at her plenty of times, just not on SNL. Gotcha. And that sucks. Yeah. Um, I'm not worried about her at all. I'm going to try and find delicate ways of saying this because I, I never know how to speak in terms of the racial limitations of SNL and language is so funny in our society. So, um, uh, this is meant with all the love and earnestness in the world. SNL usually historically has very limited needs of their black female players. And that's nothing Mm. to do with the talent of the black female players. It's just, that's not predominantly the direction the writing goes and that has shifted a fair bit you know things yeah. things have begun to sift out a little bit better in that regard but that yeah, i think we have more black writers in the writing room than we've ever had sure uh, so that definitely helps because yeah as a predominantly white show uh yeah it turns out they they a lot of white dudes didn't really know how to write for black females yeah and just culturally 
I feel like SNL's audience is um, uh, more open or comfortable with comedic sensibilities that are from black culture. I think we're seeing more of that where it, it isn't a liability to the show that it may have been 20 or 30 years ago to have more content that I think, you know, might come from a black perspective or a black voice. And so because things are slowly, you know, loosening up and moving in, in the right direction in that regard, uh, I feel like she's got as good a landscape as any female player at the show ever has. And that's not to say it's perfect or not without its trials, but I don't think the show is just looking to replace their black female characters after one season because they're like, Oh, she only got 33 minutes of screen time. She must be a dud. No, the show I'm sure, uh, has the insight to understand that they got as much screen time out of her as they asked of her. Yeah. She never tripped or bungled yeah. anything either. So there was nothing, you know, within that 33 minutes that went, Ooh, wow. She really, you know, lost it there or something. Exactly. Now there's always room for, players to generate their own material and collaborate and figure out how to get themselves a leg up by just being more prolific. And so hopefully, you know, she'll continue to, to make strides in, in that regard. But really, if we just look at the numbers, 34 minutes for a featured player, um, she's doing good. That's Luke Nall got 18 minutes last year. <laughs> so mm. there's kind of your perspective on how she's doing. Uh, she still managed to cut through a fair bit more than unfortunately Luke was able to. And right smack dab above her is Melissa Villasenor, who it's her first year as a rep player. She got 48 minutes of screen time compared to 31 minutes last year. So, you know, if Melissa can mm. squeak through with about half an hour of screen time in season 43, why we wouldn't assume that Ego's going to be just fine with 34 minutes. This is all presuming that screen time is the only metric that matters to the producer at SNL. And I really don't think this is anything that they're overly concerned about. But if we are going to look at it just by the numbers, this isn't unheard of for featured players to be in that range. And for what it's worth, she seems to be doing just about as well as most of the other featured players do their first year for screen time, if not a little bit better than, you know, sometimes the ones that get a little more crowded out. Like, unfortunately, Luke was the latest victim of. So not worried about ego. Everything that we've seen as limited as it is, I feel she's handling really well. And I think she's a capable player. And I just don't know who the show would want to throw in there in place of her. Like, who are you going to get this better Nego at this point? I, I don't no. see it. Uh, I think she's great. So I really hope that she continues to push forward and carve out her niche and just, you know, be an asset to the show and hope that the show continues to bring more opportunities to the table that she can thrive in. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, there you go. Yeah. So I think we, uh, dug pretty deep on all of our listener questions. Now, if there's any listeners that I missed your question or maybe didn't give you credit, it's because we got a lot of questions that were roughly the same. So it's kind of hard to, you know, keep everything sorted out. And uh, if we weren't able to get to your question, I do apologize. Uh, hopefully we can touch on it in a future episode. I did want to give a, a shout out to Reddit user Del C who has gone above and beyond in compiling all of the screen time stats and all the other metrics for the show for season 44. So if anyone uh, wants to take a look at what they've managed to put together, they can just search for user Delcy on Reddit, or they can look for anything like SNL screen time and it's all him. Yeah. yeah, He did some pretty stunning work and that's kind of what we were drawn on for our discussion of ego. Uh, So yeah, uh, valuable information for anyone that's really into the, the number crunching of it all. Hey gang, did you know that our show is made possible solely by the support of listeners like you? It's true. And in order to keep our cast going for next season, we need to reach our funding goal of 100 Patreon supporters. 
We've still got a ways to go, so if you want to offer your support, now is definitely the time to head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash SNL podcast. If you do, you'll get exclusive patron-only rewards, including our members-only podcast feed that provides early access to extended cuts of each new episode that contain upwards of 20 minutes of additional discussion. If you're enjoying our show and you want us to stick around for season 45, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. Come on board. Before we jump back into the cast, I want to give a shout out to Chicago-based improviser Sam Bowers, who's one of our oldest and most generous patrons, and who's spending the summer teaching and performing with comedy sports in San Jose, California. His all-ages shows are Friday at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 7 p.m. Sam, thank you so very much for your support. And now, back to the show. Let's talk moment of the season. What takes it for you? Oh, and I, I've got, I've changed it now. Good. Cause uh, you weren't following the rules last time. I know. Well, I'm still, <laughs> Anna's still my MVP. So, uh, okay. Uh, so moment of the season for me was, uh, the Dumbo run huh? from Terry Fink, <laughs> the macro dosing yep. movie reviewer. Uh, that just, I mean, I was doubled over when I first saw it and that, that like one, two, three punch of jokes <laughs> delivered there, not only so beautifully encapsulate the character, but it's just so damn funny. And it's one of those things where it's like, if I, me personally, Andrew, were a comedy writer and at SNL, this is what I would want to be doing. Like this, okay. this is my thing. All this right. is what I like. So it spoke uh, to you. Yeah. Yes. Very yes. good. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a highlight of that episode for sure. Um, and maybe Alex Moffat's moment of the season, his performance in that and his, uh, yeah. his, uh, delivery in that he just really captured like the cadence of sort of a teleprompter pitch man, you know, uh, Gene Charlotte esque movie reviewer, mm-hmm. uh, his body awareness is really good in, in how he sells those lines with his face a little bit too. There's a whole lot that he brought to that, that really sold it. That one line where it's something like, uh, you know, Dumbo is, a. Oh, I can't even think what it is. Roller coaster ride through hell or something like that. Oh, yeah. A, a horror nightmare. nightmare of shapes and colors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I should have, uh, should have made a note of the line, but yes. Um, and I st- I'm still rating things with three screaming hot dogs yes. and one Dr. Robotnik. So, uh, yeah, some, some randomness there sold exceptionally well. High marks for Alex and yeah, a great moment. I, I can totally applaud that. Yeah. I'm going with something a little more obvious and something that I, I think maybe is more impactful for me, just considering the era of SNL that I most identify with. And that's the uh, Sandler tribute to Chris Farley. Um, I'd seen it before on his special. So it wasn't that it was like a new moment that captivated me because I, I was just trying to take in, you know, what was on screen and understand it and parse it. I already knew what I was looking at, but for mm-hmm. whatever reason, it's still just, you know, uh, it, it just still hit really deep, even on, you know, that, that second outing. So, uh, I got to give Sandler credit for the writing in that. And just the, the poignant little moments of where he's talking about, you know, seeing Chris's dad cry at the funeral and just some of those little, little moments, uh, in there really hit me hard. So not a ha ha moment, but a really impactful one and something that I, I was really happy to see performed in the studio on SNL after so much time, it, it meant something to me. I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, that's my moment. Fair enough. Best live sketch. Uh, Romano, speaking mm-hmm. of Adam Sandler, uh, 
Romanos, just, I mean, wow. <laughs> so good. Front to back. Love how the sketch reveals itself piece by piece. Right. Uh, Adam did a, a great job anchoring it. Uh, just this sort of simmering. Yeah, it's annoyance. a slow burn, but it, it just builds an, at the exact right pace for that material. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Romanos, for sure. Yep. Uh, smart sketch. Fantastic idea to hang a sketch on. Yeah. It was definitely on my short list. It probably would have been a real contender for me, but because I knew that you were going with it, I'm picking Westminster daddy show from the Matt Damon episode. (laughs) It came out of nowhere again, a really fun core idea to hang a sketch on a great mashup of something we're familiar with. You know, the, the very quiet and placid aesthetic of a dog show. You know, you can't spook the dogs. It's, it's all about keeping them concentrated on the task at hand and, uh, you know, like, uh, maneuvering them with little, you know, num, num treats or whatever. Um, (laughs) all of that is familiar. So we instantly know what we're looking at. And then to have, you know, Matt Damon prancing around and the other guys prancing around, uh, Tweety daddy, come here. Uh, all of that, uh, was really, really funny. A great way to kick off that episode. I also think that it it was a great sketch because not only was it fantastically written, well-produced, well-performed, but it was also well-positioned in the show. This was the Mm. first live sketch out of the gate and it spoke volumes about how much fun I was going to have with that show. So this is just the one that ticked all the boxes across the board for me. There was a lot of good moments you can point to throughout the season, but this one, I just feel like, um, as part of an SNL episode, it just really fired yeah. on all cylinders in every way. So uh, a lot of fun. Let's keep rolling here. Best pre-tape. Ooh, the actress sure. is a classic. Another one from Julio Torres and, and Bo and Yang this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my God, uh, just Julio could not be stopped. And just, I, I love his just sort of ethereal melancholy, <laughs> vibe that he gives these sketches but they're still so damn funny yeah uh like the whole like i got you this battery because i heard you like batteries <laughs> oh man it's so good and it's about a gay porno in snl and the joke isn't about gay people right. which is really you know we've we've come so far and uh, i also just want to say side props to fashion coward as well because i love fashion coward but the <laughs> actress for sure best of the season uh I agree with you wholeheartedly for all those reasons. I think that is the right answer, but you know, why would I pick that when you've already said everything we need to say about it? We love Julio. Uh, Bowen Yang seems to be able to compliment and, uh, really help round out those kind of things. And I hope that they continue to collaborate. I'd like to see, yeah. uh, Bowen Yang emerge a bit more and have a few more home runs like this. Um, yeah. So if, if they're the new power duo to beat, you know, I'm all for that. If you have oh, yeah. those kind of collaborations in the writer's room that bear great fruit, uh, yeah, I'm happy to see more of it. However, I'm going with house hunters from the Lee F. Schreiber episode. <laughs> uh, the actress is the right call. Don't get me wrong. Everything about that was a cut above. But how much fun was House Hunters? <laughs> uh, I love House Hunters. Yeah, bizarre, off the wall absurdity that you don't see coming initially. You think it because they do so much of this reality TV aesthetic on their pre tapes. Like they know how to really drive home the the dialogue and the look and the fast editing mm-hmm. and all of the gimmicks of a reality show. They just they know how to do that at SNL. So to take that 
and then throw you these curves one after another where you're you're hardly able to keep pace with the gags as they're unrolling. And just because they're so off the wall and in so many different directions, you don't have time to recover before they're off on the next one. And it, it was bewildering <laughs> and joyous in all the right ways. Yes, absolutely. So House Hunters for the just sheer absurdity of it, I thought was brilliant. For sure. Let's keep going. Best weekend update feature. Uh, well, you know, might come as a surprise, but I'm going to have to go with Terry Fink, macrodosing sure. movie reviewer. It's just freaking funny. And, uh, I just, there's so much gas left in the tank for this character. So I can't wait, uh, for a couple more appearances in season 45 of Terry Fink. Cause, uh, yeah, that's uh, no doubt my favorite new character from this season. Uh, just loved it front to back classic stuff yeah i would be very surprised if we didn't see a couple outings of this in season 45 i'm going with every teen girl murder suspect from <laughs> law and order performed by melissa via senor yeah that's definitely my runner-up yeah now heidi did a lot of good work and i'm always going to sing heidi's praises because heidi might be the most wonderful player that snl has ever hired but <laughs> I got to give props to Melissa because she had some really fun breakout moments at the desk. And I think this was one of them. It was special because not only was it a strong bit and well-written and they really were able to put a light on a lot of tropes that maybe you don't even realize when you're watching the show, just how cliche a lot of this dialogue is. Mm -hmm. And Melissa was really, really effective in the role. And it's the one thing that we didn't really know going into season 44, how she was going to fare as a rep player. We didn't know if they were going to figure out how to do stuff with her outside of impressions and just, you know, give her something really juicy to bite into and really show what she could bring. And this was fresh. This was new. It was a fully realized character. She performed it masterfully. It was just all there. It was all there. And it spoke volumes about Melissa and what she can bring to the show. And it made me very happy. So, uh, as much as Heidi brought some really great stuff to the, the desk, I got to go with Melissa on this one. I agree. Very good. MVP of the season. Ooh. Now, well, before you, break... before you answer oh, this, yep. I just need to lay out exactly what the rules are for a qualifying mm, MVP. It's not going to help. <laughs> An MVP is anyone that got screen time throughout the season. So this is a player, a cameo, a musical performer, anyone that was on air could qualify as an MVP. So with that said, uh, who is your MVP, Andy? Well, moving that all aside, <laughs> I'm going to say that my MVP was Anna Dresen or Dresen. We have yet to figure out how to pronounce her last name. But, uh, you know, I think for the performers this season, I think everybody just kind of did equally good work. I think it was, was kind of hard to specifically point to one person and said they carried the season except for her if you look back at what we just talked about some of our favorite things from the season westminster daddy show nephew pageant mm -hmm. fashion coward romanos every teenager from law and order uh that's that's anna or and and you know maybe with somebody else yeah, but she's many usually collaborators but yeah she's in the yeah. mix on all those yeah and uh yeah she's just my new favorite writer i and you know i think it shouldn't be against the rules to, uh, you know, <laughs> highlight a writer who has really been killing it this season. And I just love the way that she she really digs into certain types of people, you know, like the every, you know, teenager sure. on order thing or Romanos or fashion coward. And uh, and then beyond that, she has a knack for some really great uh, absurdist lines like pants for legs for some reason will not get out of my brain. Okay, So going to give it to Anna. Love your work. Normally, I would disallow it, 
but I can't argue with it. You're absolutely right. She had a lot of stunning moments and uh, yeah, we don't want to discount her collaborators. Alison Gates was involved in Romano tours and yeah. um, you know, so many others with so many other sketches. So uh, yeah, it, this isn't to say that there weren't a lot of writers doing fantastic work, but to highlight someone that turned in a lot of good work this season, uh, can't fault it. I don't consider it a valid selection, but I wanted you to oh, be able to say your well. piece because I, I think that you make some solid points and yeah, she did some good well, work. Then fine. MVP of the season is Hardy Gardner. You happy now? <laughs> yes, actually. Yes, I am. <laughs> All right. So for my MVP, I'm going with Cecily strong. Okay. This wasn't a season with, you know, any one particular player, like you said, that just, it was head and shoulders doing greater work than everyone else or mm-hmm. was just ever present. But of the senior players that were getting a, a lot of screen time, I feel like she was the one that was just really there supporting everything that the show needed help with. Not only does she generate and do a lot of those quirky retro music, uh, themed sketches and, you know, like yeah, a meeting in the girl's room, <laughs> she participates in a, a lot of that kind of stuff. So she generates, but she's versatile. She is every train wreck character that the show needs across the board. She just has a lot that she can bring. And I think she's like at the top of her power with the show. And I think it's funny that she doesn't get the accolades that maybe a Kate or a Keenan does, but I feel like she's always right there. Keeping pace, if not doing the best stuff week over week. Yeah. And, uh, I just, I feel like she needs to be applauded maybe, maybe more than, than she gets sometimes. Um, I, I think she's really done a, a great job in her run at the show and, uh, whether she sticks around for another season or not, I, I feel like it, it needs to be recognized. I, I love Cecily and I, I think she's great. Yeah. I think she's like a, a performer that I, I think like three, four years down the line is when people are going to go like, are, are finally going to recognize. Yeah. yeah we miss her. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we had a good thing going with Cecily. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, yeah. I think that's going to be the case. Yeah, she does good work. I think she deserves an MVP nod. Best episode. Uh, the Liev Schreiber episode came out of nowhere for me, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, just kind of smack dab in that that shaky first half of the season we had uh, and was not expecting much of anything from this episode. Uh, so it just won me over so hard. And I just, it felt like a real nice use of, of Liev, like we said, uh, mm-hmm. where he's sort of this, this bizarre calm within the chaos. <laughs> yes. Like think about like the brothers sketch with, with right. Kyle and, and Beck, um, or interviewing women outside the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> or house hunters where he's checking into his man cave. You yeah. know, it's just, uh, they, they utilize Liev so great. And, uh, it just pretty much back to front uh, was a really great episode. And uh, even Little Wayne, who I'm not a big fan of, uh, had some some good performances, especially the second song. I was, I was really uh, quite taken by. I hear you. I think the lesson of the season is the best moments tended to come when there was no expectation on the host and we just didn't know what we were in for. And we were pleasantly surprised with just some really great bookings. I'm going with Halsey for much the same reason. Mm. I feel like her show was just surprising and charming and fun. And again, admittedly lightweight, like this wasn't, you know, they didn't really make her (laughs) perform, you know, impossible tasks on the show the way that maybe they could hand that to a season five timer or something. But as a first time host, I thought she carried herself. Well, I thought she was able to win us over from the monologue forward. I thought her musical performances were really inspired and I thought she did really, really solid sketch work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like they, they really 
were able to get a great episode out of her. And I was so surprised having no expectations for it, how much fun I had with it. So, uh, that'll take it for me. I want to give an honorable mention because there were a few other highs. The Matt Damon episode was solid. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought the Seth Meyers episode was particularly solid. There was some good stuff this season. Uh, I think the Emma Stone one, uh, people didn't really seem to enjoy that one, but, uh, I actually had a good time beyond like the posters sketch. Uh, again, like the rundown of the episode wasn't maybe the best, uh, but yeah, if you take it piece by piece, real strong material in there. So. Yeah, no, this was a season of, of highs and lows. Like even within episodes, we had very few that were just even end to end. We just had, you know, sketches that worked, sketches that didn't work, sketches that worked, sketches that didn't yeah. work. So it was like, it, it's hard to look at an episode and say, well, in hindsight, was that great end to end? Or am I just remembering like those two really fantastic moments? So it's mm-hmm. hard to kind of keep track of all that in your mind. But I feel like the ones that we pointed out were the ones that were particularly even. And just particularly fun because we didn't have a whole lot that we were expecting from the host, but yeah. we did have some other really, really competent shows in the mix there too, along the way. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not quite as maybe down on the season in hindsight as some people are. I feel like it's pretty typical SNL, all things considered, you know, you mm-hmm. have your ups and downs throughout the season and within episodes and that's just the nature of the beast, but let's not uh, get ahead of ourselves here. Let's talk <laughs> about best host. Uh, Emma Thompson, mm. not the greatest episode, actually a bit of a disappointment, but my God, Emma Thompson was there to play. She gave a hundred and fifty thousand percent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in a season with a lot of really game excited people like Jason Momoa and all that, uh, I just felt like, oh my God, Emma just killed it. Sure. She just killed it. And my God, I want her back. Uh, next season or or just whatever now that we know what she can do i want i want to see the show really deliver a classic one with her because i know she has it in her yeah while i was in new york i did my coverage for that episode with um austin-based sketch impresario dave buckman Mm. and i think he just summed it up he said emma thompson has a classic episode in her And he genuinely hopes that she comes back next year in a few years and the show gives her what she could really make hay with. Oh yeah. No, I listened to that episode. His disappointment was my own. It might as well have just been (laughs) me on the mic because I could really feel as like, man, why? Yeah, no, she was solid. And I went to the dress rehearsal for that one seeing some of the other sketches and and even more so in dress where things are a little bit looser and a little bit rougher and nobody really knows how any of this is going to play. So it's even harder to kind of be confident going into a sketch. She was a pro, even with some of the material that just thudded. There, There was one sketch where she was the inventor of Mrs. Potato Head. Okay. And she's giving like a speech in front of some trade group or something. I forget the exact setup, but anyway, she's at a podium and everyone who's asking her questions is referring to her as Mrs. Potato Head. So it's just the, the consternation of everyone confusing her with the toy that she created. And what? Well, and that, and that's exactly it. You're like, okay, so, okay. So there's maybe one joke in there. Cause there's a sight gag where at the end, you know, she grabs her handbag and her white gloves and her glasses. And she walks off the stage with her, with her, her flower hat. And she, She's dressed like Mrs. Potato Head. So they kind of flip it. And the idea is that, oh, okay, these people weren't so crazy to be confusing her with Mrs. Potato Head because of all these things that she was wearing. It's a long walk. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. That was the problem is she had to hold her own on the stage without 
any real funny jokes to get to that punchline and you know about four minutes of screen time uh, of just her sitting there sweating it out and she handled it like a pro and i'm mm. i'm in the audience and i'm thinking okay well this this sketch definitely isn't working but look at her she's committed she's not giving up on it she's not winking she's not frowning she's not doing anything to throw away the performance and to indicate to the audience that it's okay for them to groan she's groaning too she would never right. groan with the audience yeah She's not winking and saying, boy, this stinks. Exactly. She stayed in it. She gave it her all. She was going to take whatever the show gave her and she was going to give it everything she could muster. And, uh, I respected it. Uh, when I watched the dress rehearsal, I respected even more, you know, after watching the live show and seeing how, even after a couple sketches that, you know, really weren't going to play, even if they tightened them up, she went out and she did it again. Like the, the beauty and the beast thing. Like it's, it's kind of hard going into that. knowing. That Have that's, you seen that clip where she realizes that yes, she has her wrong yes, hand up yeah. and then just decides, ah, screw it, I'm going with it. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's exactly that in a microcosm is uh, <laughs> the greatness of her hosting of her realizing it and going, ah, screw it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I would love to see her back. I think she was very capable and I agree with uh, Dave Buckman. I think she's got a classic in her and I hope the show can give her one one day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going with Adam Sandler for all the wrong reasons. Oh boy. Uh, It's just purely because I think it was exciting to see him come back after being kind of unceremoniously dismissed so long ago. And that seeming to be kind of a a sore point for his relationship Mm. with the show. Yeah. It was nice to see him come back and just jump in with a grin on his face, happy to be there. Uh, take a few jabs at the show, you know, about how things went down in the monologue and, and just kind of do his victory lap and remind people that whatever their misgivings of that era were, he's a talented dude who can make people laugh. You know, he's just, <laughs> he, he is good at SNL, uh, in the right era and with the right material and seeing his opera man come back and seeing that, that, you know, that holds up seeing the Farley tribute that he wrote, you know, that's his baby. That isn't just him doing well with the show's material. You know, that's the show saying we want to get this guy in because he has something fantastic here that we really want to share with our audience. Like, uh, what he brought to the show was the best that that show offered in many ways. Yeah. For me, the things that just really, 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 really connected. You can point at Adam Sandler and say, yeah, good on him. He, he yeah. came, he did the job and uh, yeah, he just, he did it with some gusto and, and I just really liked the energy that he brought and, and just how that episode ended up playing out as uneven as it was. Uh, I was touched by the end of it. So Adam Sandler's my man. Yeah, still baffled by the wig appearances, Kristen wig appearances. I still don't understand that. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll never get to the bottom of some of the the choices. Sometimes it's who's in town, you know, who just calls up and says, you know, let's, you know, I've got friends at the show. We're chatting. They know we're coming through. Come by. We'll throw you in a sketch or whatever. Sometimes it's it's as simple as that. The show the show isn't always overthinking these things as much as we think that they are. It isn't always calculated. Sometimes it's just, we love Kristen wig around here. Of course, if she's in, let's put her in a wig and throw her up there and have some fun. Like sometimes this just really is the whim of what can we do that we think is charming and funny. And hopefully the audience thinks it's charming and funny too, Mm. but you know, your mileage may vary. (laughs) It did. And that's why we keep you around because we need that crotchety (laughs) counterbalance to our unabashed cheerleading. Now, big question on a scale of classic. Great. Decent, weak, or train wreck? How would you rate season 44? Three screaming hot dogs and one <laughs> Dr. Robotnik. All right. So that's a solid decent from Andy. Uh, well, no, yeah, that just, it, it rolls into a decent. Um, 
sort of trending on the weaker side, I gotta admit. Um, this season, despite like any season of SNL, even its worst seasons have clear high points. Mm-hmm. But something was very off for me this season. The, the, the chemistry just wasn't working like it, it used to. It didn't feel like a lot of just inspiration. Like, sure. I don't know how to quantify inspiration but it didn't really feel that i didn't feel like people had new great wild ideas they wanted to try out it was more just kind of we got to do this episode we got to get this emma thompson episode out so it's a decent and that's kind of why i'm looking for some big changes next year because if the song remains the same we're probably looking at a pretty weak season next year yeah because yeah, we just need to change it up. We need we need new ideas. We need new, new, right. new. Uh, so decent, um, and still like we've been talking a lot of great stuff in this season. But <laughs> sure, the bad really hurts sometimes. Yeah, the lows are lows, the highs are highs. I'm going with decent too for all the same reasons. I think your point is well taken that the trajectory of the show since season 42 has been going in the wrong direction. Right, like mm-hmm. 42 was a high point. There was something that they were able to capitalize on with just the, the state of the country and the feeling that everyone had with, you know, the trying to navigate the waters of the, the Trump victory, you know, that was a strange, it just felt like a culmination of like what the show had been doing, the performers and Chris Kelly and Sarah Snyder stepping up into the head writing position. Like it felt like a nice culmination of what they had been Mm. doing. So yeah, things came together very nicely that season. And I think that's probably when the show kind of said, well, if it ain't broke, you know, like, let's just keep going with Alec. Let's just keep going with Kate. Like th- th- they were enjoying those highs, the Emmy victories, the ratings, yeah, and they were winning Emmys. So, <laughs> so it's hard to, yeah. So it's, it's hard to say that we need to, you know, start from the ground up and rebuild the show into something that we don't know is going to be as successful as season 42, but season 43 proved that you get diminishing returns on those characters once they're played out. And once the tone of the, the national conversation changes, uh, if, if you're still kind of locked into that pre-election mode, uh, it, it stops working at a certain point. We -hmm. saw that start to happen in season 43, though. I feel like season 43, generally speaking, ended on a, a higher run than it started. Like I felt like the back half of season 43 was a little bit stronger and I was hoping there's some great episodes in there. there Coming into 2019, I was hoping we were going to see the same thing. I thought maybe it's just jitters, a lot of new writers, you know, maybe they were really going to find their voice and the back half of season 44 was going to be as surprising and rewarding as 43 was. And because we didn't get that, I can't say that it's anything above decent. We had a lot of uneven shows with some fun highlights that kind of sift out into decent territory, but we just, we didn't have the stunning moments that we had previously. We didn't, you know, we didn't have Sean Spicer's and we didn't have, uh, you know, just other things that are these unexpected, uh, like we got caught up in the cultural zeitgeist and now everyone's talking about SNL and they, they figure out how to make hay with it. And just, you know, it's really paying, uh, dividends. We just didn't have a lot of that this season. Well, I mean, because I feel like the show is searching for it and, you know, to go viral, like there's no, (laughs) there's there's nothing, there's no formula. It's just be funny and it'll happen. And, uh, yeah. So a lot of stuff seems like it was just, you know, sketches were thrown together just to be uh, take account of like YouTube algorithms. You know, <laughs> it's Game of Thrones versus the Avengers. Sure. <laughs> just like, okay, guys, 
oh, it turns out you didn't have many jokes for it. But YouTube, screw it. Just be funny. Well, I wish the math was that straightforward for the people at the show, right? Like, it, it's very easy for us to sum everything up and say, look, it's so obvious, guys. Here's how you make your show great again. Because it is. Just but, be funny. <laughs> just be funny. You know, just bring in genius writers that generate classic content week over week. Would not and- just realize when things aren't working. Like, <laughs> somebody should have realized earlier than they did. We got to get rid of this Alec Baldwin Trump stuff. That ain't working. But it still seemed sure. like the show was like, we have to do it. We have It's the finale. So they're going to sing another song. And nobody had any jokes for it. Like, it seems like the show is doing some stuff because they feel like they have to. And that's never a good place to be. I think the show is doing a lot of stuff because they don't know what they could do better. Like, I, it's easy to say, we'll get rid of Alec Baldwin. Okay, but... Then what do you do to stay culturally relevant and to have a voice and have don't, something to stand out? Who from- cares? <laughs> who cares? Be funny. You'll be culturally relevant when you are funny. Uh, again, so easy to say, but I don't want to knock anyone at the show. That's just pouring over the stuff week over week, trying to make the best show they know how. And it's hard to step back and say, well, if I were just to look at the show as a fan, what would I want to see? Like, it's very hard to. Oh no, I know. And yeah, I'm sure and- a lot of that. I'm sure it's not. To put this at, on, on the plates of the writers or whatever, I feel this is probably on a higher level than a lot of the creative types that, that work this uh, week by week, you know? Oh, I, th- I think it's just easy for us to forget that at the end of the day, it's a business. There, there's someone that needs to have a steady hand and try and figure out when is the right time to make changes and when is the right time to stay the course. And as competent as any producer may be, Nobody bats a thousand on that. There's just no way to know when you jump and when you stay and just stick it out. And I think they've been beaten over the head with it a little bit, especially with the Baldwin stuff. Like, I I think it's kind of hard for them to not recognize that there's something that isn't working with that. It just sometimes takes them a couple seasons of bad (laughs) press to figure that out rather than, you know, maybe being nimble and just ready to pivot at a moment's notice. There's a lot of factors. He's a recognizable face. He has star power. He was getting headlines before the election. Like there was a lot of reasons why it seemed like keeping Alec around was going to be a net win for the show. And for a lot of the public that, that isn't so heavily invested in the show that they get the fatigue and the burnout that we get pouring over every sketch, you know, multiple times every week and then talking about it ad nauseum on podcasts. Like we are <laughs> not the typical a season finale two times in a row. Yeah, exactly. So you get the, the average viewer that's maybe, you know, picking up the first half of the show before they get too tired, or maybe they're picking it up on YouTube or online the next day and seeing it in snippets. It doesn't have the same liability in a lot of ways. So I can understand why the show isn't going to be super reactionary and just not be, you know, super quick to want to upend things if they don't know what the better option is. Yeah. I hope that, you know, as always, they, they take the time that they have over the summer and figure out what can we do to make the show great next season. I would love to see the trajectory start to spin back up as we get into our next election cycle. And hopefully there's more opportunity to find something funny, you know, in, in culture and, and in current events. I would I love to so. see that. Uh, I don't have a solution for them and I don't think they have a solution. I think that's why you stick with what you got until you know, you got something better and uh, maybe they'll find it. Maybe this summer they'll find it. If not, this is the nature of SNL. You love some, you hate some, (laughs) uh, one way or another, you come back the next week for another round. And that's what I'm planning on doing in the fall. And hopefully (laughs) uh, you'll still be on board to to pop in and give us your salty take on the show and how it's not living up to your Uber fan expectations. (laughs) So if anyone would like more of your salty, irreverent perspective on SNL, where could they find your, your stunning radio voice? 
Well, I also have an SNL podcast. It's That Week in SNL. It's me and my buddy Tim Chicali reviewing old episodes of SNL and uh, sort of, you know, joke around and explore the cultural zeitgeist as best we can, pulling it from the episode. So That Week in SNL, uh, if you want some... SNL podcasting to listen to over the summer. We have 70 odd episodes you could be possibly listening to <laughs> right now. Very good. All right. That's a season. That is a season. Thanks to my guest, Andrew Dick. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Neil Weinstein, and Justin Gardner. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back soon for our best of the rest cut for time sketches review and to talk a little vintage SNL. But until then, this has been episode number 81 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. Have a pleasant summer. Um, and did you say macro dosing? Because I think you mean micro dosing, right? Like a hallucinogenics? <laughs> Ain't nothing micro about these doses, Hoss. <laughs> LSD helps me LSC all these wonderful films. Now let's talk Dumbo. With big ears and an even bigger heart, Dumbo is a terrifying journey through hell. <laughs> garbled mass of colors and shapes, this bizarre remake of Brian Cranston's Trumbo never quite finds its footing. But, just like an elephant, you'll never forget its touching jihadi message. I couldn't stop crying, or laughing, or sweating, or biting the fella next to me. I give it three screaming hot dogs and one Dr. Robotnik. Marcus? Yeah, I'm Colin. Um, how much LSD are you taking? <laughs> Please, who were you, the cop I slapped? <laughs> now pass out the cigars, Papa, because a star is born. Yeah, that came out months ago. Oh, Colin, you still believe in time? 